0: Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Perspective Transformation Radio, enjoying its tenth anniversary, often the number one live airing broadcast on Blog Talk Radio, and reaching a global audience of over 185,000 listeners. During this hour-long interview-style program, you'll meet perspective transformers who come to share their most Pivotal, life changing insights and aha moments, offering you instant access to life, leadership, and God loving seismic shifts of your own. We encourage you to invite friends to join you here now or share quotes with attribution and also reach out to our sponsor, WomenSpeakers.com. WomenSpeakers.com is the most popular online connecting place for Christian event planners and Christian women speakers since 2002. I'm your host, Marnie Sleberg, and I encourage you to grab a notepad and get ready to meet today's Perspective Transformers. Welcome, welcome. This is Marnie. Excited to have you with us for another edition of Perspective Transformation with our guest today, Debbie Ormande of California. We're going to be talking about her new book, Freeing the Prisoner from Within, and you're going to want to grab some kind of a notepad so that you can jot down notes as we go, because during this hour, we're going to talk about how to respond to those impacted by crime incarceration and poverty how to bring hope to seemingly hopeless situations how to overcome crushing circumstances improve interpersonal relationships build team unity communicate with people outside your typical sphere of influence lead like jesus with servant leadership get free from bondage step out of your comfort zone and face your fears plus more No one defies stereotypes, generalizations, or cliches more than Debbie Armande. Her childhood was anything but normal. Her story shows how the human spirit can be torn and broken, but in finding God's love and acceptance, changed, repaired, and used to inspire others. She's a professor, a speaker, a trainer, and you can learn more about her ministry over at womenspeakers.com under California or at DebbieArmande.com. Welcome to you, Debbie. Thank you so much. I'm
1: so excited to be here with you today.
0: Well, and I'm excited to have you. Like we were talking before we came on air, we've known each other online for a long time, but our first time to actually chat. (laughs) So really so fun and love your book, read it. And it's just, um, wow. Okay. Wow. um, Quite a life you've lived, my dear.
1: Yeah, it was a little crazy. But you know, yeah. it's just so great to see what God's doing with it now. You know, who would have yeah. known that all that would turn into something that God could use later on? I sure didn't.
0: Well, and when you're when you're going through when you're going through the battles of it, it all feels so useless and so hopeless. Um, it can, and it's really one of my favorite phrases is that God doesn't waste anything. Uh, he takes all of our past and our history. So maybe real briefly here at the top of the hour, let's just go ahead and hit a couple high points from your story, or maybe we should say low points um, from your story, just for people yeah. who haven't read your book yet, um, just to kind of bring them up to speed, why you're someone that we can listen to on this subject of helping free the prisoners from within. So first of all, your, your young adult life um, had some serious, serious pain points.
1: Yes, you know, it was, um, well, I had a great family originally at first, you know, normal. Everything seemed normal until about 10 years old. And around 10 is when everything seemed to change very drastically. Um, My mother started using drugs along with my brother, and um, our whole world changed. Um, It went from the normal, like having dinner, going, doing things, to now nothing the same. And so um, after a a few years, I was actually taken out of the home and placed in the foster care. Um, And that's where the real hardship really began for me. I mean, not that the other stuff wasn't difficult, but being taken out of the home was really hard. Um, I didn't understand it. Uh, I had a Mm -hmm. great family, the first family I went to, a Christian family that loved me and loved the Lord. And they were actually like a singing family, which was so funny because now that I see like America's got talent or something like that show, and I see a whole family come on, I always think about them. Um, but I, I hated it there. Um, and so mm-hmm. I ran away from there and I, I continued to run um, from that point on all the way up until we ran from Virginia to California. I actually ran um, from juvenile hall and from, from foster care. So that was a very tough time, but when we came to California, we landed in Compton, California, Linwood, Compton area. not sure if you know much about it, but I always laugh when I tell the inmates now that I was out of Compton, straight out of Compton before it was famous, and <laughs> so they cracked up a lot about that, but that became a real hard uh, area for me to land in. Mm-hmm. Drugs work. Crazy wild! The whole party scene was a—it was just on full swing when we arrived here.
0: Hmm. You have experienced loss of um, people very close to you, as well as um, gang rape. I mean, you've you've had you've had some pretty pretty horrific things happen in your background.
1: Yeah. After I arrived in, in Linwood area, the life just really changed. My, my mom was, if you would use the word cool mom like you hear all the time now, she was that type of mom. Our house was like a flop house. Um, last grade of school I went to was sixth grade, and she never wanted us to do it. I mean, we were on the run, so it was no way that you could go to school or do the normal lifestyle that you would want to have. So when I was 16, I I got pregnant. And after I got pregnant, three months later, her father was shot and killed by the police. And there was one thing that I knew that I needed to do, and that was change my life. But it was really hard to change your life when you have no idea how to do it. So that began a a real journey for me and God started during that period of time. I had so many questions I couldn't understand. And there was a church in our town, Calvary Chapel, actually, Downey. And that was my first little place to walk into. It was pretty small then, it grew into a very large church. But I walked in there totally broken and had no idea how people say, you know, just give your life to Jesus. But it was like, okay, then what? Um, That was the hard part. What do you do from that moment on? Mm -hmm. So, yes, it was tough, it was a journey. Dealing with uh, that that shooting and being a, a single mom at the age of 17 and burying somebody that you're not even married to, it was interesting. You talked about Cheryl Giesbrecht earlier when we were talking, and I went to a widow's retreat with her about 10 years ago, and I realized that I had never even grieved that loss from that many years ago because you you just don't have the time. You know, especially when you're a single mom and you're trying to pick up. So how I ended up getting employment during that time was I did what a lot of I hate to use this words with you, but I'm just going to be real straight. Um, what most criminals do at that time was I got a fake ID. And I got my first job that was substantial was um, in the security business, burglar arms, fire alarms, closed circuit TV. I know it's kind of funny to do it with a it fake idea. It's <laughs> It is very ironic. And I love what God did with that later on. Mm. However, I went in, got the job, they hired me, and I worked in that field for 34 years, all the way up mm. to the vice president of the company. So it was amazing to – about 10 years into the job to finally say to the owner, we need to have a talk. And then I <laughs> sit down and tell him who I was, you know, what age I was, and all those things that he didn't know. And I figured 10 years into it, I was pretty secure in my job. Right.
0: <laughs> wow. Oh, Well, I love, I love your vulnerability. I love, I love the redemptive aspect of your story that it wasn't all just for loss. And it didn't just keep going downhill forever. But in fact, right now, you just mentioned before we came on, you, you do speaking and you just were at a, a conference or whatever last weekend that you got through womenspeakers.com. I just love, I love that God um, redeems and restores. And I'm super excited to get into the content of this hour because you have a lot that you can share with us. It's funny. We moved from uh, War Road, Minnesota, which is a little tiny town of 2000 people up on the Canadian border in frigid cold temperatures uh, basically you know the only people that can live there you have to be really made of sturdy stuff and you can't be homeless you can't be on the street because you would freeze to death and we moved down to st petersburg florida to be near our daughter and granddaughter and um we came down here into one of the highest homeless uh populations in the country and i always say i'm not in kansas anymore um but uh, surrounded by people who are homeless, who have, um, are in and out of prison. You know, one of our good friends right now is in jail again. <laughs> They're going to have a hearing on Tuesday. And I mean, this is just kind of life here. And you have worked with, because of your background, you came out of it and you you work with and help people who are, who are in these desperate situations that uh, seem to be hopeless uh, from an external perspective. You would say, wow, You know, what are the chances that someone like this could turn their life around or could actually get out from under the crushing circumstances in which they live? And so I want to dive into. So talk first about responding to people who've been impacted by crime, incarceration and poverty. Like, is there something that you train other people to have forefront in your mind when you begin working with uh, people who come from, Kind of situations that you're not familiar with yourself
1: yes i do a lot of training in regards to that but one of the things that i'd like to share first is that you have to get real and be real authentic and you have to really start dealing with your own issues before you ever walk inside a prison One of the things I can tell you is they know fake from the, from the moment you walk in the door, they know if you're genuine. They know if you're fake, they know if you got a mask on, they can tell that. So you really do need to deal with your own things. So as I shared my, a little quick fast thing about my story with you earlier, just a few minutes ago, the thing is, I was never real with anybody. If you would have met me 10 years ago, I wouldn't have told you anything that I just told you. As a matter of fact, when I was starting to write my book, and
0: hmm.
1: before I ever did do any of that and put it all out there, I sat with my husband, who at that time we were married about nineteen years, and I said, "You know i've got to share some things with you that you don't know." and so wow. I wrote yeah. him a whole long letter because most of, because I was a successful business person when he met me, he had no hmm. idea about my background, and I never told anyone. Wow. And the huh. funny thing is, like, when you were mentioning the gang rape, he had no idea about any, like, anything. And so I actually wrote him a 19-page letter, and I gave that to him, and I said, you need to just take that and read that, and then we'll come back and talk. And that's wow. the way we kind of did it. And when the book was written, I gave him copies throughout, I mean, like, chapters and said, read this, read this, read this, so you'll know all of this <laughs> things goes out. Wow. So yeah. the, the thing is, is God had to take me to Africa for the for me to get real. And I remember mm-hmm. sitting there. It was so funny. I went to Liberia. Um, and if you know much about Africa, I know you do because you go there. It's West Africa. It's Sierra Leone and Liberia. That was the area. And my husband had been going there for many years. And so I would read his stories. He went right when the Civil War ended there. And I would read all these stories and say, I want to go there one day. So I did, and in 2008, I got on a plane and went there. I was a vice president of the security company then, loved the comfort of my office, got off the plane and wondered what the heck I did. You know, why (laughs) did I come to the place? And before I left to go there, I remember telling them, yes, I'll speak at a church, and it was just my husband and I who went. And this is what God used to break through to me. So I was there, and I told them, yes, I'll speak at the church. My husband was going to go to one church, and I'd go to another church. And I put together a message when I left the United States on suffering. I had nothing. All the stuff that's gone on in my life is nothing compared to a lot of the people that I met in Africa. And and so I'm sitting there going, how am I going to teach on suffering? I can't. And I remember being in this little Shack that I was in with my Bible So mad at God and I was kind of Holding it up in the air and I go What am I going to do with this God this is all I have To put a message together I mean It's really silly now when I think about it but it's like (laughs) I don't have the internet I don't have a commentary I don't have all this stuff that I need Right So I remember When I was just being still I felt like the Holy Spirit said Tell them your story and I'm like I'm not telling anybody my story No 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 And the Holy Spirit and I had an argument that day, and that next morning when I woke up and I had to go to the church, I was like, I don't have anything else, so I will share some of it. And, you know, they gave me an hour and a half to talk, and about 15 minutes into it, I I was dying. I I didn't even know what I was going to do, sweat pouring down. You know, I was feeling so crazy. But as I was standing there sharing, I could feel change and bondage coming off of me. And I realized that that was Mm -hmm. what was stopping me from being who God has called me to be is the lies of my own life. And the problem was I was so scared to be honest, because if I did, it was going to ruin my business and my career because Mm -hmm. then I ended up being a partner in the business. And so there were so many other things that went with it, Mm -hmm. but you know what? Mm -hmm. The enemy is a liar. Amen. And that's, that's what he was doing with keeping us in bondage. So, after that happened, what was so funny is I read, you know, the scripture that talked about he'll give you the words to say that day, that morning when I was going to speak. And the next day, the newspaper came out, and it was in the front page of the newspaper, what I had spoken on. And I was <laughs> and as I read it, I, go, I said, I don't talk like this. Who, whose words are these?
0: And that was the very
1: beginning of me realizing what God was going to do and how He was going to wow. use the ministry if I was just obedient and did what He called me to do. Yeah. So that's yeah. where it all started. And I remember coming back from that trip, I only stayed three days because it was that horrible for me. I got on a plane and flew back home, and everything changed. Um, I started looking at my circumstances. I looked at the my business I looked at everything very differently when I got home and that's when God began to start uh, beginning to prepare me for what I'd be doing next I'd already been working with juvenile kids for a little bit and it was like no you're going to go full time in the ministry and I'm going no way there's no way you know, why would I quit a job where I'm getting paid high six figures, all my bills are paid, and do a ministry where I'm going to raise support and stuff? No, thank you, God. I'm not interested. And so that took about two years for him to get through because I'm a little slow. And it, that began this whole journey of Be Finally Free, the ministry of working within the, the prisons. Mm-hmm. I never thought I would ever go back inside. I never wanted to visit. I never had <laughs> right. I had the connection. <laughs> You know, I was in the security business protecting people from these people. And the last thing I wanted to do was go in now and and change my direction, if you will. But God had another plan. And so right before I went to this Africa trip, we're going to go back a little bit and I'll tell you about the incarceration part, is in 2006, my niece, um, I actually got a phone call. And this phone call changed my world and and it really started the whole ball rolling. And then the Africa trip, but the phone call came in, it was my sister-in-law and I answered the phone and she was crying. I could barely understand her. And she said, I just need to tell you Rebecca's gone. And Rebecca was my 17 year old niece, beautiful girl. Didn't know what she was talking about. I thought she must've ran away from home. And as we kept talking, she told me that she had been murdered and she was murdered alongside of several other kids. There were four kids that were shot in this cornfield and three of them died and one of them survived. And my niece was one of the ones who died. So I didn't know what to do with any of this. I flew back and went to Indiana to the funeral. And as I was at the funeral, um, as my my beautiful niece's casket was being lowered down, um, my blackberry, I got a, a message from my daughter and it was um, my granddaughter had just been born and she was born the very same day of the funeral and that granddaughter 18 year 18 months later was diagnosed with a terminal illness that um, has changed you know all over the course of our life because she's been hospitalized over 30 times but through this these two tragedies God has just done so much work in our family in such a positive way. And it's hard for sometimes for people to understand that. On this, through this journey, one of the things, one day I was at Taco Bell. I know this is kind of silly, but it's just the way it went. So I have to share it with you. I was at Taco Bell and I'm in the line and God had been really putting on my heart about forgiveness. You know, we talk about forgiveness as Christians all the time. My husband's a pastor. This is an ongoing topic. But do we really forgive? And that was what God was really showing me. I remember I walked out of Juvenile Hall when, one day, and I just taught them about forgiveness. And I felt like the Holy Spirit was saying, what about you? And I didn't even know what what any of that meant. I was just trying to figure it out. And I was in that lawn at Taco Bell, and I was getting ready to order a burrito, and it's funny because I can even tell you the order, the bean and cheese burrito, no one, you know, change. And I found hmm. the Holy Spirit right then said, what if you could never have another burrito again in your life? And I'm like, what? Like, I mean, I'm like yelling in the car. You would have seen it. it was, like, I'm crazy. The good thing is there's Bluetooth, you know, so people won't think you're too crazy. You might be just talking on your phone. But I'm talking to God going. I don't understand what you're trying to get. And then it it really dawned on me, he brought Nick, this guy who murdered my, my niece to my Mm -hmm. mind. And I'm like, I forgave him. I forgave him a long time ago. He's got three consecutive life sentences, no possibility of parole. There's nothing else I need to do on that. And then it was, it began something that God was, you know, he had a whole nother plan. And so um, it was like the Holy Spirit kept putting on my heart, minister to him, minister to him, minister to him. I mean, like every day I woke up like a crazy person. I told my husband, I need to see a psychiatrist because I need (laughs) something. I'm like those people that you hear, those groupies (laughs) on TV that are following somebody. And, And he kept praying for me. And he said, you know, I don't know what's going on, Debbie, but I just know that God's got something big going on here. And so one day it was five months after I got that first, that burrito thing and all that whole issue went down that I sat at my table and I was really, I'm just going to be honest, I was super angry with God. And I'm going, I don't know why you're doing this to me. What about my family? What about my brother? How am I going to tell my brother that I'm going to write the murderer of my, of his daughter? I mean, really, God, this is so crazy. Send somebody else, send Marnie, but don't try to send me, <laughs> right? And uh, But God God didn't, he he was relentless on this. So finally, when I sat down to write the letter, it took me, like I said, five months, and I wrote him a letter, and I shared the whole gospel with him, and I was super happy about it. I got it in the envelope, mailed it off, and said, yes, I am finished with this part of this part of the journey. About, I don't know, a week or two weeks later, I got a letter back from him. And I looked at it. I even had it sitting on my desk, and I said, this is amazing. I mean, God is going to transform this man's life. He's going to be serving God. He's going to say he surrendered his life, and everything is going to be great. And so I just kind of looked at it and was thanking God for it and how great it was going to be. And I opened it up, and he said, CBS and NBC and Discovery Channel all want to do a story on my life. And if you want to continue to write me, you need to send me $188 so I can buy a TV first letter can I just say I went from wanting to minister and do what God called me to do to wanting to get inside the prison and put my hands around his neck myself (laughs) because it was so discouraging and so frustrating and within a week the whole thing began again that the Holy Spirit was doing. Write him again. Write him again. Write him again. I'm like, no, 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 no. I mean, I threatened. I I was like, I'd rather walk in front of a truck on the freeway than write him (laughs) another letter. I'm not doing it. And so then after some time, I did write him again, and I wrote, and what I told him was, you and I are not in the I scratch your back, you scratch my back relationship. For some reason, the God of the universe loves you enough to put it on the heart of someone in California to write you a letter. So today, you need to get on your knees and thank God for that letter, because that's the only reason you're getting it. Mailed it off to him and thought, all right, I don't know what this is. And God, I'm, I'm done. I, I've been obedient, but I'm done. You know, and you asked me at the beginning of the show, what was my scripture for my life or for um and I told you for the ministry it's John eight 32. you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free and I love that verse and I couldn't understand how come I still was like felt like remember I said in Africa the bondage was coming off but I still felt like I was had this bondage stuff around me still like this to me felt like um I was stuck And then one day I read John 8.31. I have no idea why it took me so long for it to register. And in John 8.31, it says, if you obey my word, then you're my disciple, and you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So it all comes with obedience, which is a tough one for this rebel. (laughs)
0: I think it's tough for all of us when, well, when we're asked to do things that just go exactly. I I mean, I think what you were saying earlier when you were like, God, this is crazy. This is so crazy. This is insane. That's how I feel so much of the time that when it's God asking us to do stuff, it does feel crazy. It feels way out of our toolbox. And of course it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be too big for us to do on our own without Him, which is kind of the whole point of Him stretching us. And, um, That's- the fact that he would have you, you know, like you say, writing letters, basically writing love letters from him to the murderer of your niece. Uh, he does ask us to do things. My sister has a phrase that I say all the time. I'd rather, I'd rather look like a fool than miss an opportunity to be used by God. But when you're in the moment, you do, you feel like a fool and you feel <laughs> pretty exposed and pretty out there and like, God, could you pick someone else? Could, could this. Maybe not have to be me. I want us to go yeah. back to go back to thinking about responding to um, people. Well, maybe just even the murderer. I mean, people that we would typically want to avoid. Um, not not because we think we're better than them, just because we don't understand and we don't know how to respond. It's kind of like being with someone who's grieving, and sometimes it's hard to know what to say. That could possibly be helpful. And I think it's real similar, at least what I've found, it's real similar. They just need love. <laughs> they, they really don't need a whole lot of my words. They don't need a whole lot of of anything, but they really do need love. They really are longing to be noticed, no, that, to be loved.
1: That is the thing that I have seen the most time and time. I, I see a lot of inmates, um, about 17,000 a year. And through that, I have heard some of the most horrific stories. And you learn as you're going through this journey. I didn't understand a long time ago, one of my favorite things to read was like crime and punishment books and, um, you know, suspense books and things like that. Now I totally understand why I read them, because God was going to use me in the ministry. And Mm -hmm. I didn't know that then. So I'm not really shocked. Like some people get really shocked because I, I've seen a lot of things. But what I do, it blows my mind time and time again is when I meet with a girl, like I have a girl, her name is Bree. Um, she has life in prison, beautiful girl. Although if most people seen her, all they would see is a gangster. She looks just like a gangster from the outside, scary looking. And one day we, I was at um, a prison where she's at, And she was walking out of the service. She was mad at what some one of the speakers were saying. And I'm a chaplain, so I could see that. And I caught her and I said, Hey, we just started talking. And I asked her, because being a chaplain, I can take her and do one on one with her. And I did. And she was telling me what would happen to her as a child when things would go wrong her mother would burn the bottom of her feet with an iron so she took off her shoes to show me her feet and her feet are just like almost deformed from how much her mother did that to her as a child and so it, it you when you start hearing the story of so much right. tragedy that has happened you it doesn't justify anything but you start understanding how things happen the way they did
0: right so, and I, even like i think even like reading your book, I um, reading your book was helpful, reading like Kelly Stigliano's book, you know, Praying for Murder, Receiving Mercy, uh, books about you guys that have walked through this journey of um, abuse and, and challenge and have come out the other side, mm-hmm. and it really helps me for someone who was raised in a Christian home, um, loving parents, it helps me to kind of step back. And like you say, we don't know the whole story. And in fact, we don't know any of the story, even the part we know, we don't know the whole story. (laughs) So just to recognize, you know, these are, these are God's beloved children who Jesus died for. And that's where the hope is. The hope is in Christ alone and not in something we could do. And I think one of the big challenges for all of, all of mankind is that we want to play God. We want to fix things. And we want to make it all right. And a lot of times that is not what our role is going to be.
1: Exactly. That's the hard thing to do, too, is and to realize that, first of all, we can't fix anybody. Only God right. can. And to go in there and to be able to just, what you said earlier about love, that is key. So many people say to me, they'll write or they'll send letters in and they'll say things like, you showed us unconditional love, no strings attached. We've never even know what that looks like. And right. that's what's important. It's, it's that they, I don't care what you've done, where you've been. I know that Jesus loves you. And right. when you ask me about responding to those impacted by crime and incarceration and poverty, those are the key things is to be able to love them where they're at. And sometimes it's difficult. One of the things that I've, I've learned, because God is just always, and it doesn't matter. At, this could be at church or this can be in prison is that there's somebody at church that just drives you crazy. And there can be somebody at, at prison that does the same thing. And people don't see this the same, but I, because I'm in both places, I get the pleasures of com- seeing them <laughs> work together. But you, we'll be at, at church, and, you know, people get upset. and This is an ongoing joke amongst people, but it's, it's true. It happens all the time, is if somebody sits in your chair And you're offended by it or somebody doesn't do what you want. I was at church one day and at a different church and somebody, a kid came in with a baseball hat on and somebody said, if you don't take that off, I'm going to knock it off of your head. And I'm like, what are you kidding me? And I get that, you know, you might think that that's disrespectful because that's what you believe. But we, what happened to loving this kid that doesn't even, I learned later, didn't even know who Christ was. Right. And right. they walk yeah. in and that that's the way we we greet them.
0: And right. so Right.
1: One thing that I love about the time that God has put me alongside of the inmates is to realize that they aren't so different than everyone else. Yes, there's some crime and yes, I get that. And please understand I'm not down downplaying that at all. But it's just interesting. One day mm-hmm. I remember I walked out of jail and I I wrote on Facebook. I said, you know, I have about 4,000 friends on Facebook. I wish you guys were here so that you could see what went on today at jail. However, a lot of you would say that this is just jailhouse Jesus. I said, I wonder if that's what God says about us when we leave church on Sunday. Yeah, because right. that's, that is what happens. It, you know. And, but we don't, we right. don't look at ourselves that way.
0: <laughs> right, so if, if, right. If you
1: want to know the best way to respond to those incarcerated by crime, and, and you asked me that very first question, it's to just love them. It's to yeah. share Jesus with them, but love them where they're at. It's not going yeah. in there and and hitting them upside the head with the Bible. It's not trying to get them to see everything your way. As a matter of fact, your way is probably the wrong way, and we right. need to start really looking at that. You know, you said you were from a Christian home, and, and sometimes even my kids, because my kids were brought up in a Christian home, much different than mine, and they didn't know any of the stuff either. So you know, it's been interesting to have to share with everybody. <laughs> right. to to little of <laughs> and, you know, I was waiting for the first time. They said, well, you did that, Mom. Why can't I? But nobody's mm. done that, so that's good.
0: Mm. But mm.
1: The, my Christian, the kids that were raised in a Christian home, the the older ones, no, but the younger ones. They have a hard time even seeing these things that I'm telling you, because they've had things so, I mean, they go to church, they have a good home, they have a good life, they don't have any problems, for, for you know, for the most part. Right, not that so right, yeah. So it was interesting, my youngest daughter is now 19, and last year on her 18th birthday, I signed her up to go to prison with me, <laughs> and so she was with oh. me for her. 18th um, and that was she came in thinking that it was going to be one way and she learned a whole lot it was really great for her Mm -hmm. to see and my Mm -hmm. son I take him with me I teach at the mission uh, uh, three days a week and I take him with me there for uh, when he especially his junior and senior year of high school just because they needed to be able to see some of the the things that they're missing Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah sometimes we try to protect them so much I know I did I I helped put some things together in our community. Um, Help put a child thing together called Sal the Sheriff's Activities League. And I wouldn't take my kids. They were young men, and I was scared. You know, these kids would do something to them, pick on them, do something. And I that was a mistake I made. It was I, I get we're supposed to protect them, but we got to be careful about protecting them so much that they don't see outside mm-hmm. their home.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I kind of had a, uh, when, when we first moved down here, the very first Sunday, I went to our church, which is a very homeless, friendly church. Um, and uh, the first Sunday I was there, I was there alone. My husband was still up north, and I was just down um, cleaning out the house that we'd purchased. And I went to church, and during song service, God just put in my heart, don't give anyone money. And I thought it was the strangest instruction, because <laughs> at church, I normally wouldn't think of giving an individual money. And so I just thought, okay, I won't. So I kept singing. And then after church, I just turned to the man next to me and I said, hi, I'm Marty. And he says, hi, I'm and he told me his name. And I said, so what do you do for a living? And he said, well, I'm homeless. And um, that started our conversation. But fortunately, God had put in my heart that little cue about, you know, not worrying about giving somebody money because otherwise the whole time I would have been talking to him, I would have been trying to figure out how to help, like how to fix, how to help, how to insert myself into his life but because god had been really clear with me that i wasn't supposed to be the money solution for anybody that morning um i was able to just actually have a wonderful conversation with him and him and i are still friends and now he's up north and i don't see him very often but um i think that for me it helps a lot to just take myself out of the role of savior and it's funny that i ever thought i should be in that role why did I ever think that? But I did somehow. I did think that, and it's really cool to be able to step back and to just be, um, just be Jesus, just be a friend to them, just be, be uh, kindness and pray with them. I, I think about the overcoming, uh, crushing circumstances. I mean, with the people you work with too, Debbie. I mean, there, there, there are circumstances you can't overcome. Their circumstances, their circumstances are their circumstances. They're in prison. That is their life. Yes. You yeah. know,
1: the, the overcoming crushing circumstances, I think we've created such a, you know, difficult situation because there's a, and I, I want to be real cautious with this so people will understand. I, I, I totally have a heart and I love, love these men and women so much. But one of the things I know is that I've watched so many people come and do exactly what you just said. Handouts after handouts after handouts—so many things—and it's hard to overcome situations when you are not you're not getting up and doing it. On my door, on my office, when uh, on the outside it's painted above the top. We'll give you a hand up, not a handout. And we work with zillions of people, you know, that come in all the time. And it's so funny that God put me back in an area that I tried hard not to be in. Actually, about yeah. the company in the city that I'm at. We moved it to the northwest, which is a really nice area of our city, and then God put me right back where I was when we first bought the company. Just, I can see my office like just about a block away, and this is like the hood, if you will. And so God yeah. had me in this really bad area, and it, it's interesting because they, when people come in, they don't want a lot of times they're coming in, they're going, can you give me blah, 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 blah. It's like, no, you know, I can help you with all of these things. Like I help with education. Number one, the number one thing that we like to do around here. And I work with a lot of the families of the people that are incarcerated. So we can help the, the family at home, because if that's not getting better or changing, then when this person gets out, they're going to be back into the same situation anyway. Right. So, um, I work with the children. I work with the caretakers. Um, so education is key to achieving the success that they're going to have when they get outside. So that's one of the things we do. And then we'll disciple them. We have mentors, and we'll get them connected with mentors. And we'll get them connected with everything. It's like individually, what does this individual person need? But here's the deal. They're going to do it. I'm not doing it for them. Right, right. And that is, that's the hardest thing. And it's the key. Ki- church. Mm-hmm. It, and it's hard it's hard for the church to understand you know the homeless thing they did a, a video not too long ago in in the orange county area and it's between anaheim and like disneyland and all there's a canal there a riverbed actually you could actually ride your bike from let's say whittier all the way to the beach and it was really a great ride well now it's all like homeless encampment and there was a guy who's riding on his bicycle and as he's going through this uh, this homeless camp and i mean some of them have like They literally, I'm not kidding, they have solar panels on them, on their tent, and they have like a a TV and everything in there. And so they're riding their bike, this guy's riding his bike through there, and there's six different church groups that he counts that comes through to give them food and clothing and everything. And I know that we, it's because we're trying to help with the problem, but it's not helping the problem, I hope that makes sense because, you know, I, it, what's really interesting is I never expected to be dealing with homeless. When, when God said, okay, you're going to go do prison ministry. I told you I threw a fit and then God just, just put it on my heart, moved me in this area where there's all homeless. Sometimes like at nighttime when you leave, it's just unbelievable. And now I'm dealing with a lot of homeless issues and I never expected that. And now I've been like speaking and been at a lot of homeless collaborations because the one thing for sure is just giving them everything is not going to help.
0: Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I I think that one of the things that took me a long time to figure out was, um, you know, the people that stand on the corners and um, kind of have a sign or asking for money. And my problem with that was that I didn't want to give them money because even down here, even a a buck can buy a hit of a chemical that gives them a short high, but it's just so, so destroying their brains. I mean, it's just like um, Mm -hmm. so terrible for them, uh, spice. And so I didn't even want to give them a buck, but I couldn't take, you know, hot food with me all the time or whatever. And I just really wanted, it It took me almost a year to figure out what to do. And what, what I love about my solution, and I think what you said earlier was really important, a solution for one person is not going to be the solution for another person. But just praying it yeah. through allowed me to come to a point of peace where now I just have, um, I just for me, I just have energy bars in my car, as well as I got some little um, scripture cards, you know, uh, just with a, a verse on them. And so now when I see a homeless person at the corner, instead of averting my eyes, or you know, praying with my head down so I don't have to look at them, so they don't come over, and I don't have anything to give them. You know, um, I have this, I have this just very simple gift that I can engage with them. At least I can look at them in their eyes as I'm praying for them. And one of the things that I think that people who are displaced really feel is uh, lonely. They're just so lonely. No one looks at them. No one sees them. Um, and and it's it's a very lonely place to be. Can you just talk to that sense of loneliness and maybe some things that have helped um, that you found helpful.
1: Yes. And what you said is so true. I don't know if you've ever seen or read the book called under the overpass, but it's a Mm. book that um, a guy who actually was in college, him and another guy there, they were at Christian college and they kind of were challenged by their professor to do something you know, different and go out to help change the world. And these two guys decided they were going to go for six months and live on the streets. And they lived in five cities and they didn't take anything with them except for their guitar to earn money and one of the things that he said is exactly what you just said he said people one of the hardest things for me was that i would look at people and no one would look at me except for little kids that would walk past little kids would look me in the eye no one else would look me in the eye and he said how difficult that was and then he even talked about christians that would come because they'd always play christian music and they'd be playing that and people would be raising their hands but they wouldn't help them with anything and and so he he put out the book, and at the very back of the book, he has a lot of ideas and different things that you can do to help when you see homeless people, and some of them were like having a pair of socks and some water. Um, when you do bars, like you said, make them soft, because homeless people don't have teeth, a lot of them, mm. and then you can have Vienna sausages and, you know, those kinds of things. And then if you choose to, you can have some gift cards such as, you know, McDonald's, Taco Bell, things like that for $5 or something like that. So those were some of the ideas you said. So I started doing a lot of them myself. Same thing that you were saying in my car, I'll have something either. I always try to have socks because if you look, they're, I mean, they're nasty. Let's just be honest. And so at least a fresh pair of socks for a few days are good. And especially even if, if it gets cold during that cold time, and you can get them at the dollar store for pretty cheap, and you can sometimes get packs for really cheap. Mm. So I have also have a card that has all of the homeless facilities around us that serve food, so I can hand that to them too. But you know what I've learned is that the homeless have like a, almost an underground, if you will. Right. Know for where sure. <laughs> they even know what menu yep. is going on. Exactly. <laughs> And, but I still have that just in case you might be new to town, and that way they'll have an idea of what's available to them.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. The other thing we frequently do is if somebody asks for, a lot of times people will ask us for a couple bucks toward their um, medicine. They'll say, um, I, have, I have this much money, but I need a few more dollars to pay for my prescription. And so we just say, well, let's, let's just go over there right now. And we'll get it for you. And at that point, at that point, typically they'll say, "Oh no, that's okay," <laughs> because that also was yeah. a line. You have to, you have to learn kind of um, what the lines are. Um, and but the thing is that sometimes they really do. They really do need help. And that's where we want to just be led by the spirit. I like the concept of freeing the prisoner from within. Your book is about how God freed you <laughs> from your history. But it's also it's also the hope that all of us have because all of us have areas of bondages within ourselves. And some of this is our fear to actually step out of our comfort zone and to help people that are in a different situation than us that have different circumstances. We feel afraid that they'll just take everything we have or or that we'll do something wrong. And I honestly, that might happen. Um, But the reality is that God sent Jesus to us. (laughs) He took the greatest risk ever (laughs) to come to us and to put himself in the hands of sinful people who crucified him. And if he is willing to give his all for us, then we should be willing to step out too. When you are working with... um, New people, someone new is coming with you to the prison ministry or someone new is getting involved with homeless or working at your ministry. What are a couple of the things that you tell them when you, when you're discussing their natural fear responses that they're going to have?
1: Their natural fear? Is that what you said?
0: Yeah, fear.
1: Yeah, well, that's, that's the whole thing. We all know where fear comes from, correct? I mean, yeah. fear, we, it's, it's emotion. But that, that acronym, False Evidence Appearing Real, I, I share that with them a lot. Don't, you know, here's the thing. Go in, and you, when you first go in, anybody that goes with me, especially goes inside the walls for the first time, I tell them, don't worry about anything. Because you're going to watch and observe and, and go as God leads you. If you pray and you ask God to give you discernment and wisdom, he's going to do that. I mean, that's it's scriptural. He's going to do it. But you have, to, you have to step out and then watch what he does. So it was really funny. I had a, a business lady I, that comes to my mind that right when you said this, she was scared to death. She had never been inside. Um, she only went with me the first time about five months ago. Um, now she goes every week and she's teaching. She is absolutely over the moon and in love with the, the ladies. She goes and speaks with the ladies. And she never expected that. Like, when she got there, she just expected it was going to be – I think a lot of times people think it's going to be, like, um, lock up raw. You know, it's going to be the parts you see on those shows, and, you know, you're seeing the worst of that inmate at that one time. You're not seeing the, the majority of the inmates and so she was so taken back and so surprised, and then what really surprised her is when she would come back, they would ask her questions about what, she, what was going on that she had maybe shared in her life that they had been praying for for her, and yeah, that actually right. blew her mind because she said, you know what? At church, I might say I have a problem, and some a lot of times people won't even ask me again if if, they're, if I'm doing okay or if they need to pray. And she goes, and that they, these girls did that, just blew me out of the water. So I think yeah. a lot of times it's just you'll start realizing once you start doing it, but fear will stop you from being all that God's created you to be. Right. And so we've got to be able to face fear head on and go, okay, I, I feel it because I don't know. It's, it's the unknown. You know, a lot it of is. times that's the only <laughs> thing that we're, that we're the most scared of is the unknown. And so once we step past that and find out what that even looks like, then it's amazing. I remember once going into a prison, and I took three new women with me. They had never been to prison, and we walked in, and they said, okay, we're taking you to this new area. And I was pretty new in the ministry then, and, and they, I said, okay, yeah, let's go. And so we went, and they handed us all bulletproof vests that we had to put on. And I'm like, <laughs> right. I've never had to do that before. And so the ladies are looking at me, and I'm like, I don't know. And so we just put on our bulletproof vests. And so we, yeah. they're taking us into the shoe at this men's prison, which are the worst of the worst men that are inside this prison. Hmm. And so we go in, and they're bringing one man at a time. He's he shackled. He has handcuffs on. He's got a guard on both sides. And they're putting them into these little cages. They had 12 cages in there. And so we had to wait for them to bring every one of the men in there. And the whole time I'm like, hmm. God, what in the world? And what am I going to say? And, what, you know, and, I'm, I'm just praying, trying to figure this out. And then right. the, I walk over to the first guy. And the very first guy, I said, hey, how are you? He goes, you think I'm here because I want to see you or hear you? I don't want to hear anything you have to say. I'm here because I'm out of myself for an hour. And I'm like, get out of here. That is so exciting. I said, you know, my son is in the Marines right now and he's in boot camp. And in boot camp, they go to church every week because they can get away from the drill sergeant. And so I told him, get it. And he's just looking at me like, what? You're like, you're crazy.
0: <laughs> and the,
1: the funny thing is, the, mm-hmm. the girls all were looking and it kind of broke the, the, the whole, yeah. you know, the room, yeah. the, the tension that was going on there. And that guy made a first time decision for Christ that day. And, right. you know, Who would have known God did, but if that fear, what he said to me and the way he said it to me would have stopped me from even talking or, and and that was God. It wasn't me. It's not like I had some great comeback for him. It's because I was over in the corner going, God help me right now, because I don't know what I'm going to do.
0: Right. Right. And I think that is, that that is truly the key. I love how you told the gals that are going with you, you know, just don't even worry about anything. Just go, Just come with and you're taken care of. And actually, when um, when I go with somebody to Africa, that was the advice given to me first. And that's what I give the advice to people coming to Africa for the first time is don't try to figure everything out that's going on around you. You can't. It is too much for you. You'll be overwhelmed. So just focus on what you're supposed to do next. And that's where Jesus actually meet, meets us, you know, the light to our path, the lamp to our feet, um, just enough, just enough for the next few steps, not enough for the next lifetime, but enough for the next few steps. And as long as we just know that we're there on his commission, we're there because he sent us as his ambassador to his emissary, we know that he, like you say, he is going to meet us there. He is going to help us. So one last thing here real quickly, Debbie, when you're working with... Okay. Um, building interpersonal relationships, building team unity, um, communication between people that are from different backgrounds, different lifestyles. So let's just take a a group of gals that you're working with for the first time in prison, let's say. What is something that you do early on with this group of individuals to help to build unity, to help to build um, the ability to trust each other?
1: Well, I haven't come to the office then everybody volunteers at the office first so that way we get to know one another and then that way you're kind of building a camaraderie just because you know one another if you meet at the jail the very first time and they don't know one another that that they walk in not knowing that so that's a problem and so we get together we do worship time here we do we build a team before we ever get to the prison and that is the biggest important thing for us everyone gets we do bible studies with inmates so we have about 700 inmates right now that do bible studies and they'll send the bible study in and the the team members here will get to see what the inmates are actually doing in some ways and what they're thinking and how they respond to bible studies and what they what our team will do is encourage them they don't correct their bible study and then they send it to them and they'll send them the next bible study so all of that helps them with um, the feeling of becoming a team sure but i, that I, lo- I love that
0: years. i love that being able to see how they're responding to the an- that questions first in writing before you actually are with that's a beautiful that's a beautiful first step kind of an initiation step where it breaks the ice a little more gently than just throwing them in the deep end and really you really know sometimes work. yeah sometimes god throws us in the deep end and that's how it is but it's really cool that you, as a leader, have the opportunity to gently, gradually um, bring these guilt in—that's beautiful.
1: Yeah, and it is really great. Like the guy who murdered my niece—he's—he's he's actually the one we started the Bible study with. He was the first wow. one that ever got one. And, <laughs> Go uh, there, figure. Somebody here that actually wow. sends, does his Bible study all the time, and and she mm. she's blown away at the transformation that God is doing in his life. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's mind boggling, but that's what God does. I mean, I don't know why we'd be so surprised because he does it in our lives and he can do it in their lives. Yeah. It doesn't mean that they still don't have consequences because they absolutely have consequences. And that's one of the things a lot of people think, oh, you must be a bleeding heart. It's like, no, like I, I want everybody out or any of that. No, I think people have to do their time and they have, they're responsible for their actions but i also know that god loves
0: them. Right. 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 Yeah. So the things that are really kind of bubbling to the surface for me at the end of our conversation here today are first of all the things started changing and shifting for you uh big time when you were willing to put all of your dependence on christ and become authentic and vulnerable in front of your family, in front of other people and now in front, of, um, in front of people who, by all rights, don't really want everybody to know their story. Their, their story is, it has hideous parts. All of our stories have hideous parts. Um, and we want, by nature, we want to hide that. And we just want to put our best foot forward. And it seems to me like the Bible is the best example of of where God doesn't do that. He never does that. He, like, shows everybody's weaknesses all the time. Um yeah, and he just—he, I believe he does it in order to give us courage.
1: <laughs> I think you're right, and he does it because that's what, he, what what happened was it was really funny. I remember saying to God once, "I wish I could be an actress, but I can never remember my lines." And then I thought <laughs> about my life, and it's like, "Are you kidding me? You've been like living it." And so, <laughs> But the thing is, is God wants mm. us to be mm. transparent. He wants us to be authentic yeah. with, with him and with others yeah. and with ourselves. And until yeah. we can be authentic, he cannot use us in the way he wants to use us. And right. I think that once I started getting real, now, I, I don't think that everybody should go around telling everybody their stuff. And believe me, there's a lot of stuff I haven't said, but there. It, I know that there were some things that God was going, I want you to say that. like the gang rape. Right. I was at a men's prison last weekend teaching a big hope event, and, and all of a sudden that came out of my mouth. I'm like, I can't even believe it. You know, like, it's out. Right. And I, I'm in a room with rapists. And I'm I'm, I'm telling right. this, and and it blew my mind because I'm God has healed me completely to the point where I can be in a situation like that and now tell them the other side of it and what God has done through it, and so yeah. that's wow. what He wants yeah. to do with all of our stuff. There is no yeah right
0: so deep You right. can't heal it. Amen, amen. That is so so true and so beautiful. Wow, this hour has just flown by, Debbie. First of all, thank you. Thank you for being here, but thank you for your life. Thank you that you've chosen to just be God's flow through vessel of love and hope and healing to so many. So proud of you, my dear. So grateful. Thank you. And you guys want to make sure to check out Debbie's ministry more again over at womenspeakers.com under California. She'll come right up or her own website, Debbie Ormondi, which is D-E-B-B-I-E. And Ormondi, O-R-M-O-N-D-E, her new book, Freeing the Prisoner from Within. Debbie, if people go over to your website, what are they going to find there?
1: Well, at com, they're going to find information about me and how I can come and speak or share or help out with different things. One of the things I would really love for them to check out, too, is BeFinallyFree.org. That's the website for the ministry that I um, do And then that way they'll be able to see all of the programs and everything that's available for, especially if they're dealing with somebody who has a problem with addiction or maybe they have a problem with addiction. They'll be able to look at that and see all the things that are available to them. I mean, we even have counseling online. We have all kinds of different services that are available there. So that would be where I would love them to check out.
0: Oh, fantastic. Well, this has been such a joy and I'm so excited. Um, (laughs) I actually hope I get to be there on the day that the rewards are handed out in heaven. I'd be curious to see see what all yours are that you get to give to Jesus. And I know you don't earn your way into heaven. None of us do, but uh, we have the opportunity to hide what he's given us or to use it for his glory. And I just see him shining through your life. So thank you, Debbie.
1: Oh, Marnie, thank you so much, and thank you for having me. It's been great to be able to talk with you and share, so I just love it. Thank you.
0: Thank you, and thank you guys for being here. We're just so excited to have you with us every time, and uh, for those of you who listen to the archives, we're just welcome you to do that at Stitcher, iTunes, or Blog Talk Radio, and if you'd like to carry the show at your site, just go to Blog Talk Radio and download a player box, and you can put that right on your site and be one of our hosts, Thanks so much. We love sharing Wednesday afternoons with you. If you have a guest you'd like to recommend, go to PerspectiveTransformation.com and scroll to the bottom of the page. You'll find the application there. All right. Thanks. Have a great day. See you next time. Bye-bye.